1 Samuel 17. There are 58 verses in 1 Samuel 17. 1 Samuel 17, 1 through 58. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle. And they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Soko and Azekah in Ephes Damin. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on one side of the mountain, and on the other side Israel stood with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had a bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. And his shield-bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves, and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah named Jesse, who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man... Uh, the man was already old and advanced in years. The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to the battle. And the names of his three sons who went to battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and next to him, Abinadam, and the third, Shammah. David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. And Jesse said to David, his son, Take for your brothers an ephah and this parched grain and these ten loaves and carry them quickly to the camp of your brothers and take also these ten cheeses to the commander of their thousand. See if your brothers are well and bring some token from them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting their war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. As he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done to the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach of, from Israel? 
Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way. So shall it be done for the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his old eldest brother, when he spoke to the men, Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and your, the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way, and the people answered him again as before. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear then and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of its mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor, and he tried to go in vain, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. The Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield-bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you have come with me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give you your flesh to the birds and the air, birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put, in his hand, uh, David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone, the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. 
When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron, so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Sha'arim as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their camp. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. As soon as Saul and saw David go out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, as, as your soul lives, O king, I do not know. And the king said, inquire whose son the boy is. And as soon as David returned from striking down the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Uh, let's pray. Father, Lord, I ask that you would help us now as we consider this account of David and Goliath. <clears throat> Lord, I pray that uh, as we consider this text, it would change our lives, the way we live. Father, I pray that we would see you in the same way David saw you, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when I decided I was going to preach through First uh, Samuel and Second Samuel, the one chapter that comes to your mind that you realize you're going to preach is the story of David and Goliath, chapter 17. And whenever you get to a chapter like this, a story you've heard maybe a hundred times, you feel the weight of, you know, what is the author of this text? What does God want us to see here? <clears throat> and so we're going to spend two weeks on this. This week we're going to zoom in to the immediate context and look at what we can pull from this. Next week, we're going to zoom back and see how David is a picture of one that's going to come from him. David is promised one from his line would be a king forever. And David is this pattern of the king to come. And that's what we're going to consider next week. But this week, we're going to consider this story. Why is it that everybody loves the story of David and Goliath? Why this type of story? You know, if my favorite basketball team or football team is not playing in a game, but I'm watching the game, do you know how I decide who I'm going to cheer for? Thunderdog. It's no fun rooting for the team that's supposed to win unless that's your team. I think there's something built into all of us that wants to go watch the movie where the underdog wins. There's something in us we want to be amazed. Maybe it's that we recognize we're normal people. We're just common men and women. Maybe no great t 
talent. And when we see that some ordinary one can come out on top, we enjoy watching that scene. Well, many teachers, when they teach this text, I think miss the main point. The, the main thing we're supposed to take from it. Usually, this chapter is taught like this. Here's the blueprint for how you defeat the giants in your life. You're going to face a lot of giants. And look at David as the blueprint for how to win. But that's not what this text mainly teaches us. And we get a clue at what the main point of this text is. Six times there's a Hebrew word which is translated usually defy or reproach is used in this passage. Saul is defying... I mean, uh, Goliath is defying Israel. Goliath says, I'm defying Saul and his army. David says, no, you're defying the army of the living God. What, what does to defy mean? To publicly bring reproach upon? To publicly disgrace? The title of the message is Jealous for His Renown. Not jealous that we get the glory that He deserves, but that we're jealous that God gets the glory that He deserves. If David is screaming one thing to us, it's this. Be jealous for God's renown. This is the very purpose of your life. To glorify God. It's the very meaning. It's your life's meaning. So be jealous for God's renown. If you look in your notes, the main point is be jealous for His renown that He would get fame. And then how you do it is your four points that I think we pull from this text, which can be summarized by recognizing His ever-present help. Give fame to God by recognizing God in every circumstance. And what's the purpose of this? that everyone may know God and how He saves. I just want to take you to verse 46 and 47. You tell me if this is not the theme of what's going on. So, <clears throat> David says to Goliath, this day the Lord will deliver you into My hand and I'll strike you down and cut off your head, I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air, to the wild beasts of the field. Why? That all the earth may know there is a God in Israel. 
and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's. That's the theme. That's the main message. Is that the world... I'm doing what I'm doing, David says, so that everyone would know there is a God in Israel. And He doesn't save how you expect Him to save. We want to consider what this practically looks like in our lives. I saw a good example the last week. Uh, this uh, Oklahoma Thunder coach, Monty Williams, is he's an assistant coach for this NBA basketball team. His wife died in a car accident. And he gave the eulogy at the church at her funeral. And he spent the entire time. He's in the midst of the worst circumstance of his life. The most difficult time in his life. And all that he could say is, God's here. My wife had hope in God. I have hope in God. Our hope isn't gone. We forgive the driver who swerved into her lane and killed her head on. And that whole funeral, God got fame as people look in awe at somebody in the midst of the biggest mess you could imagine being in. And they're saying, whoa, His God is something. God deserves for you and I to live the type of life where people see that. So that's where we're going in this text. Um, let's run through this story quickly. We don't have time to go through all these verses. That's a lot to read. And, and it's so good though to just hear the Word of God as it comes to us. Here's the setting. Let me, let me give you the setting. Twelve miles west of Bethlehem is a valley. You can go online and look at pictures of right pretty much where this all took place. There's a mountain or kind of a hillside, two hillsides, and it just looks like South Dakota right in the middle. Just flat as a pancake. And there's a little brook that runs right down the center of this valley. And Israel is on one side. The Philistines are on the other side. And every day, a giant comes out in the morning and mocks Israel. Now, let me translate how big Goliath is. He's nine feet six inches tall. So, his head, the tip of his head, is the top of the screen. Now, just imagine if he went like this. Picture those arms. How far a nine foot six guy? 
the giant is huge. But he's not just a giant, he's a champion. He's an athlete. He's known for his skill. His, I forgot to do this this morning when I got up. I wanted to go into my garage and get my little pole saw, the Fiskers. I wanted to stretch that thing out. And I wanted to duct tape a 15-pound weight to the end of it. 15 pounds was the end of his spear. Just so after the service, you could pick up and feel like what a 15-pound headed spear might be like. The picture of this situation is absolutely astounding. Just to see a man like this would have been amazing. His armor itself weighed 126. His coat weighed 126 pounds. The armor that he wore on him. And so we see a little bit of the setting of what's taking place. Goliath would call for a man. Verse 8, it says he would shout to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? So, Goliath views Israel as you're the people of Saul. Saul's tall. He's taller than anyone in Israel. But he's no Goliath. And Goliath is looking at them saying, bring it on. (laughs) Have you drawn up for battle with us? He gives a simple challenge. Kill me, we'll serve you. You send a man, I kill him, you serve us. And verse 11 says, when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed. So, we're supposed to see something here, I think. Goliath says, give me a man. And it says, and Saul the biggest one in Israel, and all Israel heard this and were afraid. And then, like a sweet... If you just read verses 1-12, through you have this ominous, heavy, this is not good. But then all of a sudden, you get this sweet music about now David was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judea named Jesse, who had eight sons. It's like a break in the action. There's one named David. This boy has his father's Jesse. He has eight sons. David is the youngest. The three oldest follow Saul. They're in his army. And Jesse sends David, he's a shepherd boy, sends him with bread and cheese to the battle lines to bring for his brothers. He gets up early in the morning. His father sends him to bring provision for his brothers. David arrives on the scene just in time to hear Goliath do what he does every morning. And he's listening. And then he hears the Israelites say, anyone who defeats Goliath 
the king will make rich and even give him his daughter and make his family free in Israel. And David's ears perks up and says, what will be done for this man? And they repeat it to him. And David's older brother, in true older brother fashion, gets on him. It's amazing how some things never change. Even 3,000 years ago, older brothers picked on younger brothers. What are you doing here? You have evil in your heart, David. You came to watch the battle. You want to be entertained. Eliab, his oldest brother, who is tall and handsome, as we found out from the previous chapters. And so he comes, and David just says what a little brother would say. What? I just Can I not say a word and you're on me? Can, can I not do anything and you're picking on me? David turns away from his brother and he goes and asks again, so what is, will be done? The word gets to Saul. And Saul says, bring this man who's inquiring. Evidently, there was no one going around taking serious this reward. Destruction looked absolutely secure for anyone that would fight him. So he comes before Saul. David says to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight the Philistine. You have the little shepherd boy beginning to teach the king of Israel. The present king who most of the people don't know yet that David's been anointed by Samuel. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth. Take a little teenage boy who hasn't filled out yet. It's like the football coach saying, yeah, you got some athletic talent. That's what the coach would tell me. But you weigh 130 pounds and you probably don't have as much talent as you think you have. (laughs) You're just a youth. You haven't even filled out yet. You think you're going to go fight him? He's been a man of war from his youth. It's like a junior hire versus the NFL football player. Saul, once again, being pretty pragmatic. And then David says, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine." He goes back to his past. He says, listen, I'm a shepherd boy. And when the lion or when the bear comes, potentially at night, grabs his sheep, I would run the bear down or the lion down. And if it would come at me, I would grab him by his beard and I'd strike him and kill him and deliver the sheep. And he says, the Lord is the one who delivered me from the paw of the lion, from the paw of the bear, and he's the one. David didn't say, look at my great skill. He says, I have a history that you need to know about. I know something you don't know. So Saul goes right into his pragmatic mode. Okay, 
This, this kid's pretty confident. So what does he do? He takes off his armor, which is no way, there's no way it's going to fit David. You know, this is how Saul thinks. If there's any chance, he's got to have the best armor there is. Puts David in it. It would have been comical probably to watch David try to walk around in this stuff. David's hope isn't in this. He says, this, I've not tested this stuff. So David grabs his little stick, his staff, five pebbles, five stones, and a sling. And when Saul, or when Goliath sees him, he mocks him. Can you imagine? This is a bummer. He wanted a good fight. He wanted, no one likes just killing the opponent with no battle. Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? The Philistine cursed David. David said, come to me and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Well, this little teenage boy has strong words. He can talk trash too. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel. This is not Saul's army you're coming against. Whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. I'll strike you down, cut off your head. I'll give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air, to the wild beasts of the earth. The animals are going to eat good today. That all the earth may know there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear or with Saul's armor or with some great warrior. For the battle is the Lord's. He will give you into our hands. And the Philistine rose and came and drew near to meet David. And David ran quickly toward him. you imagine? You think they took bets back then? No one's down in this valley except Goliath every morning. Goliath comes and shouts. All of a sudden, this little boy starts running out at the giant. Who are you putting your money on? What do you think is going to happen? What do you think Saul is saying? <laughs> Watch this, man. This is, this is going to be crazy. And David slings the stone, sinks into his forehead, falls down, he doesn't have a sword. The text says he doesn't have a sword. He grabs Goliath's sword. Probably could barely pick it up. Cuts off his head. And he ain't letting go of that thing. All the way to the end of the chapter. Hours after he killed him, Goliath's head is in David's hand. And what is he saying? God doesn't save the way you think He saves. There is a God in Israel. There is a God in Israel. And this is the story we have. And let's look at our...
four points here. So the charge is live your life in such a way that brings renown to the Lord, fame to Him. How? By not being discouraged by difficult circumstances. Let me, let me, let me show you a few of these. David heard about, heard Goliath. All the men of Israel said what would be done for him. Surely he has come up to defy Israel, they said. The king will enrich him. And then David says, what shall be done for this man? And here's his reasoning. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? See, when David looks at the circumstance, everyone else reads this circumstance as impossible. They see nine foot six, spear like a weaver's beam. I don't even know what that is, but it sounds big and scary. Big spear, big giant. You know what David sees? David sees an uncircumcised Philistine mocking the living God. He sees a totally different scenario. He isn't interpreting his circumstances minus God. You know who does that? The news. You turn on the news, you want to see what it is? All the crap minus God. No wonder we get depressed. That's how Israel was looking at the situation. No God. There's no God present. For David, it was clear God was present. He asked two questions. What will be done for this man? I think he's thinking, are you kidding me? Uncircumcised Philistine mocking the living God and you think he's going to win? What will be done? Okay. And then, the second question, should he defy the armies of the living God? I mean, a way to summarize this, he essentially is saying, doesn't a living God make a difference in all this mess? How many times could someone come and ask us that question? Doesn't a living God make a difference in all this mess? That's the question David asks. David's question is not a magic charm for solving every problem. One commentator says, it shows us how crucial it is that we hold the right starting point. That we raise the right question at the very first. All the believer's life and all the church's life requires a theocentric thinking. A God-centered thinking. When that coach stood up there, there was one thing that he thought before every other thought, and that is who God is and where God is in this situation. This writer, Ralph Dell Davis, goes on to say, the tragedy is that were someone to hear our thoughts in our words, in our dangers and troubles, they would never guess that we had a living God that we believed in. How often, if people could see our thoughts, 
would they see absence of the living God. Second point. So first point is bring renown to Him by not being discouraged by difficult circumstances. Recognize God is present. Second, be jealous for His renown by not being discouraged by dissenters. Eliab comes. You know, when do we give up? A lot of times, a little bit of pushback, we're done. Our feelings are hurt. Now he could have said, why does my older brother always do this? Go back home. Drop the cheese off. He turns away from Eliab where many of us would stop. You know, sometimes we're given a privilege to do something. As soon as we're not appreciated, we're done. You know? It gets a little tough. The first Goliath he faces is his older brother. That's a pretty big one. He gets by that. Then he gets to Saul, the king. king says, you, you don't stand a chance. David fires back, gets by him, and then he goes and kills Goliath. One of the ways we bring renown to God is we don't stop when the dissenters come. We don't give up. We don't lose courage. You know how many Christians want to hide as this culture's no longer friendly to Christians anymore? Want to hide away and whine and moan and it's like Jesus is dead or something. It's like there is no promise. That doesn't bring any fame to Christ's name. That we don't let dissenters lead us away. Essentially, these three men, Eliab said you're a pain. Saul said you're green. Goliath says you're puny. David gets by all those by seeing who God is. Thirdly, be jealous for His renown by remembering His past provisions. What does David do? He remembers how God helped him when he was a shepherd. He remembered that God delivered him from the paw of the lion and the bear and he is confident that He's going to deliver him from Goliath. Remembering. Here's my challenge. If you want to get through the tomorrow that is harder than you can imagine, tomorrow you could get the worst phone call of your life. Tomorrow, the toughest circumstance of your life could face you. And here's one thing that will help you. Hopefully you have more than to tomorrow, so this becomes more of a help. Grab a little notebook. If you want to title it, title it for God's renown and record in there all the ways God has been faithful to you. Because the day's going to come where if you don't remember His faithfulness, you will not stand in that day. You will not bring glory to Him in that day. Now here's the deal. There's no promise 
There is no promise. David's pretty sure he's going to win this. There's no guarantee that we defeat the giant. There's Christians being drowned by ISIS right now in steel cages in groups. They take them out. They drowned them. But you know what? There wasn't the guarantee that they're going to slay the Goliath here and now. David got that. But there is the guarantee, there can be the guarantee that whatever happens, he gets fame by the way we respond. To remember God and His promises will be the thing that keeps you if you don't keep a diary, which I don't, which I ought to. I have so many in my mind, but how many I've forgotten. Times God has been faithful. Fourth, be jealous for His renown by living a courageous, self-sacrificial life. You know what amazes me is let me give you a little idea what it would have been like to be a shepherd. Okay? In Genesis 31, verses 38 through 40, you have Jacob talking to Laban, his father in law, and he's arguing with him that he's been a faithful shepherd. Here's how he describes being a shepherd These 20 years I've been with you, your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried, I've not eaten the rams of your flocks. What was torn by wild beasts, I did not bring to you. I bore the loss myself from my hand. I required it. Whether stolen by day, whether stolen by night, there I was. By day, the heat consumed me, and the cold by night, and my sleep fled from my eyes. Have you ever had a job where you sit out there in the heat of the day and then the cool of the night? And you don't want to sleep because if you do, a lion or a bear might come. Well, David was willing to self-sacrificially risk his life for animals. And Saul, the king of Israel, the one called to lead Israel and to defeat her enemies, is going to let a teenage boy take his place rather than self-sacrificially go and fight this man. Let God's fame shine forth from you by your self-sacrificial life. Self-protecting is not impressive to anybody. All you... All these movies, action movies, that are any good, they have a self-sacrificial hero. Someone risking their neck for the good of others. That's what we're made for. What does America say? Get what you can get for yourself. What does Christ say? You want to be great? Become the servant of all. You want to be lifted up, then die to yourself. How sick is 
the selfishness of Saul, this lack of faith. And yet we see David not only risk for sheep to be a good shepherd, but to risk for the sake of Israel, but not even mainly for the sake of Israel, that God be glorified. Isn't this humbling? The way you and I respond to the situations of life will either bring renown to the Lord or not. You know, the sickest thing in sports is when some athlete who's been given so much ability from the Lord naturally does something great and just wants to point to his name on his back, look at me, look how great I am. What's that guy made for? That guy's made for to give glory to God. Is there anything more crazy? And we can do this. We can point to ourselves so easily. So here's how I want to finish it. How does the Lord save? He doesn't save with a giant, with a spear. He doesn't save the way the world expects Him to save. The people He uses are ordinary rejects according to the world. Why? To get glory. So David cried out a thousand years before Christ. The Lord doesn't save how you think He saves. And God sends His Son, Jesus Christ, one who had no outward beauty to Him. The leaders of Israel said there's no way this can be the promised Messiah. And Jesus goes willingly to the cross. It says, King of the Jews, right over top of Him. And all the leaders of Israel says, that's not our King. That's not how our Lord would save. And as Satan enters Judas, turns Christ over, and as God puts your sin and my sin on Christ on the cross, Jesus didn't just die a physical death. Your sin and my sin was on Him on the cross and the, His Father crushes Him and pours out His wrath on Him for our sins. That's an unlikely Savior. It's like using Goliath's own sword on his own neck. His own sword kills him. Satan comes to strike at Christ, strike his heel, and Christ crushes the head of the serpent. Our Lord does not save how we expect Him to save. And our Lord will not continue to save in ways the world would expect. He wants to use people like you and people like me to shine forth and have people say, this is amazing. They're so unamazing, but look at their trust in this present God. My prayer is that none of you... I mean, this struck me this week huge in our Wednesday night study. Our time is fleeting away. Every 
minute you have is gifted to you. And minute by minute, your life is leaving like sand out of an hourglass. None of us know when we will die. Young people die. None of us know. And the Bible's crystal clear. What you trust in in this little smidgen of time on this earth, which none of us are guaranteed tomorrow, will determine whether or not we're living with Christ forever in heaven or suffering for our sins that Christ paid for but we wouldn't trust in Him for forever. Think of the billions in hell right now that would give anything to have one more minute on earth in order to trust Christ. Father, I pray that none of us here would take for granted the privilege to believe in You. You save in such an amazing way. You don't save good people. You save sinners that simply trust in Your provision for their salvation through Your death on the cross. What an amazing Savior You are. Lord, thank You. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.